Hey, happy Easter. My name is Mike and I'm the lead pastor here at MCC. Thanks for joining us for Easter. Over the last several weeks, we have been in a series called Three Days. We've been looking at the last three days of Jesus's life before the cross. And today we come to Sunday morning after the cross. And I gotta tell you, this, this morning is certainly not how we envisioned it when we began the year. And by now you have realized that the coronavirus pandemic is not merely an interruption as much as it's a disruption to our lives. And as we move more deeply through this crisis, this question of what kind of world will emerge beyond the crisis is probably starting to occupy your mind just like it's occupying mine. But I'll tell you what I'm finding interesting during this time is how people are looking to encourage others. It seems that bad sticks with us longer and uh, somehow it speaks more loudly of danger in our lives. And so people have been looking to encourage others. And I'll tell you, the other day, our four-year-old granddaughter came over and put this painting on our front door. She taped that to our front door for us. And honestly, every time I come back home or every time I walk past our front door, uh, that encourages me so much. Sandy and I have taken walks in our neighborhood, and I don't know if you've noticed this as well, but people are putting bears in windows. So if parents want to take their children on a bear hunt, they can do that. Or maybe you've seen, like we've seen on sidewalks, the chalk art, like this stained glass chalk art. It's very cool. Uh, other people have, have put other drawings, like this uh, drawing of a palm tree to encourage people. This is from one of the couples in our church who also put messages down on their sidewalk, like, thanks, Corona. Uh, and somebody was so encouraged by what they saw on their sidewalks, uh, these messages, God is good, that they, that they went and bought them more sidewalk chalk so they could continue to, uh, to create these types of things. But I'll tell you what happened the other day. I drove home, and as I pulled into the garage, I noticed that somebody had put right in front of my parking space in our garage, they had put this on our driveway. And I thought, I can't believe this. Somebody would come over and, and, and intentionally encourage us to give us hope. And I just knew it was one of the kids in our neighborhood because those are the kind of kids that we have living in our neighborhood. They're great. And my neighbors were in their front yard, and so I looked over and I asked them, I said, Hey, 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 did you all get something like this on, on your driveway too? And they just kind of had this blank look on their face and they said, no. And I said, oh, oh, well, um, did, 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 you, did you see who did this? Same blank look. Yeah. Well, was it one of the kids from our neighborhood? No. Did, did, you, did you recognize who did this? Yeah. I couldn't. I said, well, 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 who was it? And they said, you really don't know? And I said, I have no idea who did this. They said it was that pregnant lady who stopped by the other day with her daughter. And I said, oh, you mean Stacy and Hope. Her daughter's name is Hope. I thought it was a message of hope. Turns out I was just being tagged by a local gang. Listen, we're all looking for hope. And I think that's why Easter is not just a great moment. It becomes the pivotal moment in all of human history. It's the reason why 2 billion people all around the world, on every continent, almost every country, uh, in languages that you and I don't know, will stop and worship a Jewish carpenter this weekend. This day is huge because what happened 2,000 years ago 
uh, still gives us hope today. And there are people who gather today because either they have found their source of hope or they're hoping they will find their source of hope in what we celebrate. Listen, because of these things, people are looking uh, for in life in general, but especially today, they're looking for hope. People who for over the last four and a half weeks, although it seems like forever at this point, and it's beginning to weigh on them, and the rules of engagement literally at times have changed daily. Some of us have lost our jobs. Some of us have lost uh, our savings. Some of us have lost our senior year. And every time we think the end is in sight, the end gets moved. Listen, I want to say this, have no doubt, we will get through this. But in the meantime, does it ever feel like life has gotten harder? Erwin McManus said this, without hope your life may not come to an end, but it does come to a stop. So why does Easter give us hope? And what does it matter to you and me specifically today? Let's look at what the Gospel of John tells us about that very first Easter. John chapter 20. Early on the first day of the week, while it was still dark, Mary Magdalene went to the tomb and saw that the stone had been removed from the entrance. And so she came running to Simon Peter and the other disciple, the one Jesus loved, and said, They've taken the Lord out of the tomb, and we don't know where they have put him. I think it's fair to say that, that nobody listening this morning is going, what? This is the story we all came expecting to hear, right? But not Mary. She was going to a friend's, a friend's grave. Everything about this scene is unexpected to her. I mean, you can tell based on what she says that it hasn't even occurred to her that it's a possibility that Jesus has come back from the dead. And we're about to be reminded of what she already knew, even before she understands what happens on this day. But it may be what took her to the tomb in the first place. Part of why Easter gives me hope is it reminds me of who Jesus says that I am. We're reading this from the Gospel of John, uh, and John uh, wrote, and I don't know if you know this or not, he identifies himself in this Gospel as the one that Jesus loved. Now, he's not saying that I'm the one Jesus loved the most. That's not the point. And he's not saying that I'm the only one that Jesus loved. Think about the three people who are in this scene so far. Mary Magdalene, who we learn elsewhere, had seven demons living inside of her and most likely was a prostitute. I don't know if you can imagine what kind of turmoil she had in her life until she meets Jesus and he casts those demons out. John, Jesus calls him and his brother James, James and John, the sons of thunder. You know, I have a twin brother and when we were little, one of the ladies in our neighborhood called us the most destructive kids on the block. I gotta tell you, my mom was a little offended by that. Me, I kinda wanted to have a t-shirt made. <laughs> but for John, I would take that to mean that he had quite a temper. I say that because at one point he asked Jesus to call down fire from heaven on a city because they didn't welcome them there. I, I kind of wonder if he didn't have sons of thunder, you know, painted next to the flames on the side of his camel. And Peter, he's always the guy who would leap before he looked. His motto was fire aim ready. Uh, he would be the one most likely to say, I, I don't, I don't get it. I've cut this board two times and it's still too short. You know what I mean? He's that kind of guy. And while his heart was in the right place, within the last three days, he tried to cut off the head of the high priest's servant and he denied knowing Jesus three times. These are the people that are gathered around Jesus on that first Easter. 
Does that tell you anything about the kind of people that Jesus welcomes into his company and the kind of people that he invites to follow him? What can change in people's lives, no matter how messed up they are, when we begin to trust Jesus and follow him? So the one thing that John thinks to call himself as he writes is this, the one that Jesus loves. So let me ask, what would you think to call yourself? The one who's disappointed Jesus? The one who's messed up too many times for Jesus to love me? The one who's been hurt by the church in the past and I'm not sure I can trust Jesus anymore? What sin, what disappointment, what shortcoming in your life would you think to use? Lee Strobel uh, writes about a letter that he received from a woman who said, I was living with this guy and I got pregnant and I wanted to keep the baby. I wanted to raise the baby, but he didn't want me to. And he's very controlling kind of guy. And he coerced and convinced me that I should have an abortion. So I did. And then afterwards he left me anyway. For years I was miserable. I was so utterly ashamed of myself for not being strong enough to stand up for myself or stand up for my baby. And Strobel says, that's what guilt does. Guilt lies to us and guilt tells us that you'll never have a clean slate. In the Old Testament, Lamentation says this, but I have hope when I think of this. The Lord's love never ends. His mercy never stops. What the writer is saying is there we can live in a hope as followers of Jesus because even when we fail God, and, and we all do, and even though we may fail our spouses in some way, which by the way we all do, even though we may fail our children, which all of us do, God's compassion, his forgiveness for those wrongs that we've done in our past is a renewable resource. It's never exhausted. It's fresh and available every single day. Guilt tries to squeeze the hope from our lives. And God's mercy comes to renew it. That woman that Strobel wrote about lived under this cloud of remorse for so long. She was looking for something that could help her until one day she met Jesus. And in him she found the forgiveness for her past and he began to heal her emotional scars that she'd suffered. And she said it was like this dark cloud had been lifted from her life. And just before she was baptized, she wrote this, I just can't thank God enough for all the grace I've received from him. And at her baptism, she stood up for all of the world to see, and she said, the kind of God who would give me a do-over, this is the God that I'm going to follow for the rest of my life. If he loves me that much, how could I not love him? Her words reflect what we read in 1 John 1, 9. If we confess our sins, he's faithful and just and will forgive us our sins and he'll purify us from all unrighteousness. I love the way uh, it's said here. You don't have to wonder if I'll forgive you. Just ask me. Confess your sins and I, I will forgive you. So here's the question. Will you ask? Will you ask God for this forgiveness? You know, in the New Testament, the word Hope occurs one time before the resurrection of Jesus. It's in the Gospel of Matthew. It occurs 70 times after the resurrection. So where do you think hope comes from? The resurrection started with the cross. I like this. It's on your notes if you're on the YouVersion uh, Bible app. Hope begins at the darkest places of our lives, and it makes us a promise that our past can be forgiven. So let me ask, is there something you've been dragging around that Jesus has wanted to take off your hands, off your shoulders, 
off of your hearts for some time now. Because all you need to do is ask. Listen, John had made mistakes. John had been hurt, but John understood how God saw him. The one Jesus loves. And I promise you today, that's how God sees you too. You're the one that Jesus loves. Check out verse 3. So Peter and the other disciple started for the tomb. Both were running, but the other disciple outran Peter and reached the tomb first. He bent over and looked in at the strips of linen lying there, but he did not go in. And then Simon Peter came along behind him and went straight into the tomb. He saw the strips of linen lying there, as well as the cloth that had been wrapped around Jesus' head. The cloth was still lying in his place, separate from the linen. That's kind of an interesting detail to throw in. They're sort of unnecessary, don't you think? Verse 8. Finally, the other disciple, who had reached the tomb first, also went inside. He saw and believed. They still did not understand from Scripture that Jesus had to rise from the dead. And then the disciples went back to where they were staying. You know, John had heard the Old Testament prophecy that said the Messiah would rise from the dead. He'd actually heard Jesus tell the disciples several times, that I will be tried, I will be put to death, and I will rise again. But for some reason, they never quite got it until now. Which I think is a lot like what happens in our lives. There are a lot of us who hear a lot of things about God early in our lives, and for some reason, it just doesn't get, tra doesn't get traction. It's not only not the most important thing in our lives, it's kind of not even a thing in our lives. But hopefully at some point, we hear the story again. Or in a time like now, life teaches us some lessons. Or in times like these, we see real genuine faith lived out in someone else's life and it finally it, it clicks for us. And we decide there must be something to this. And then we decide that we're gonna follow Jesus and we're gonna be connected, connected to his church. I, I think for John, all that Jesus had said becomes unbelievably believable. Look at John 20, verse 5 through 7. Remember the grave clothes that Jesus leaves behind? He doesn't leave behind pages of parchment filled with answers to all the difficult questions. He doesn't leave behind a list of rules. He came back from the dead and he leaves his grave clothes to prove that he is alive. Do you know why he does that? Because if there is a hope that overcomes death, there's a hope for everything. If there's an answer to death, the thing that scares us and overwhelms us the most, and for some, even in these days, this is their greatest concern. If there is an answer to that, there is an answer for everything. Listen, I may not know every answer. I know that there are questions that you could ask me that I do not know the answer to, but if we can, if we can have an answer that overcomes death, don't we have all of the answer that we need? So all Jesus does over the next several days is appear to people. He appears to Mary Magdalene so she can see that he is alive. He appears to all of his disciples so that they'll know that he is alive. He appears to his brother James so that he'll know that he is alive. He appears to a crowd of over 500 people all at the same time so they will all know that he is alive. He just showed up and he lived in front of them. Let me say it one more time. We don't have to have all of the answers, which is good because we don't. Your friends can ask you questions that you will not have the answer to. The power of Easter isn't that we have all of the answers. It's that our life is different 
because of who Jesus is in our lives. And that's more powerful, by the way, than having all of the answers. And that's why it has been important to us during these last several weeks that we show up, not to answer questions for people, but to be there for them. It's, it's why it's been so important for us to be calling and checking in on each other and those at MCC who have been doing that. And they've reached out and they've listened to others and they've prayed with and they've prayed for you. And over the last few weeks, we have been part of uh, serving over 1,100 students in our school district. Uh, lunches and breakfasts, it calculates to about 15,000, almost 15,100 uh, bag meals. This is one way that we get to make a difference in the family and their students' lives. We've been able to help over two dozen families just recently with groceries, gas cards, prescriptions, uh, bus passes, housing needs, and supplies. During a time when we are reading about people hoarding, we believe the answer uh, is just to be there for people when we can. Listen, I want to take us back to the very first information that we got uh, in this passage. John chapter 20, again, back to verse 1. Early on the first day of the week, they'd quietly said their goodbyes to Jesus on Friday and then came Saturday. It's the one day that nobody really talks about. You know, we pay a lot of attention to Friday, and we pay a lot of attention to what happened on Sunday, but little or nothing is actually said about Saturday. As far as I know, it's the one day in the last 2,000 years that absolutely nobody believed that Jesus was alive. After Jesus' death, the disciples all mourn, they're crushed, they feel like there's no future, and maybe they're all wondering what in God's name just happened. To them, it seems like Saturday will never end. There was little reason, based on their human experiences, to believe that Sunday would ever come. There was no hope. And listen, everybody has lived through Saturdays. It's the day that the prayer gets prayed, and it seems like there's no answer on the way. It's the day after your heart gets crushed, and you feel like you're not going to get up off the mat. It's the day between despair and joy and confusion and clarity and bad news and good news. As a matter of fact, all of us are kind of living in a Saturday right now. Do you remember when all of this started? It was a Tuesday, and I remember thinking, and they're kind of blowing this out of proportion, aren't they? And then the next day, I had a procedure on my eye, so I was kind of out of it that whole day. And then on Thursday, we began shutting down offices. We began shutting down schools. We began not finding toilet paper at the stores. And it was going to be a couple of weeks, and then it was going to be a month, and now it's going to be May 1st, or maybe... <laughs> And you have friends and family, and maybe you who are feeling a little claustrophobic, who might be a little unsure, who are really wondering how long this is actually going to go. And I just got to say, if you had your hope in your job, or in your bank account, or your retirement account, or in your friends, or in your you fill in the blank, all of those have been taken away from us, just like that Saturday. And maybe you're wondering what life is really going to be like when this is done. What will be different just like that Saturday? That odd day in Jesus' story begs this question. Why was there a Saturday? If God's going to raise Jesus from the dead anyway, why doesn't he just get to it? And maybe, maybe it was because God knew how often you and I would have to live through Saturdays on our own. And he wanted to demonstrate something very important to those of us uh, who have moments where we feel like there is no hope in our lives. And in our lives, Saturdays can last 
much longer than a day. Sometimes they last weeks, sometimes they last months. For some of us, our Saturday is way bigger than what's happening now. It's lasted for years. I mean, we can't remember the last time that we felt hope. We can't feel, remember the last time that we felt accepted or loved or forgiven. You know, the first reason for hope is that we talked about is that Jesus tells us who we are. But my guess is there's another voice whispering in your ear telling you something else. I'm damaged goods. I'm a bad person. I'm unworthy. I'm a failure. I'm cowardly. I'm ugly, useless, stupid, selfish. I'm my addiction. I'm my abortion. I'm my mental illness. And Saturday reminds us, and this is on your notes, there are no hopeless situations. There are only people who have grown hopeless about them. So write this down, because this is huge. Easter reminds us that Jesus never gives up on me. Jesus never gives up on me, so don't give up on yourself. Look, and maybe, maybe this is why Easter is so important to us. Look at what God says. God said through the prophet Isaiah, those who hope in me will not be disappointed. So every week at MCC, we come to a time of communion because it reminds us that Jesus never gives up on us. And we come to a time of communion because it reminds us to never lose hope in him. The bread reminds us of his body that was broken on the cross. The juice reminds us of his blood that was shed for us on the cross so that through his death and his burial and his resurrection, you and I could remember who we are. And so we would not lose hope. Let's go to him in prayer. Father, we are grateful that Easter is not a once a year celebration of an event that happened thousands of years ago that has no bearing on our life today but that it's a day that reminds us, it's an annual celebration that we get to remember every time we come together through communion. Jesus, of the great price that you paid for us, because you never give up on us. And it reminds us that, that we need to remember to put our hope in you, because sometimes life can become messy and hard. And we need to remember that you are where we find our hope. And so as we remember right now the price that you paid for our sins, Jesus, we pray that we will again put our hope in you and again commit our lives to you as we remember the price you paid for our sins. And Jesus, we pray this in your powerful, life-giving, hope-bringing name. Amen.